Hello, my beautiful audience, and welcome to the 50th episode of Past the Time Podcast. We finally reached number five zero. Pretty awesome feat. Pretty awesome feat. I like it. I like it. But considering this isn't just a normal episode, it's episode 50, I thought I would do things a little differently today and give you guys a little treat. So, since it's episode 50, I thought I would read five random creepypastas. I'm not going to do rate and review and uh, horror fix or anything. I'm just going to give you an episode filled with five creepypastas. I went on creepypasta.com and I clicked take me to a random creepypasta five times. So we will be reading, we'll start off with views of a murder, then the hole in the wall, and then the next story within the walls. So little wall on wall action, back to back walls. Then the next pod or the next story will be mute. And the last one is called We Lie. So the only one of these that I've actually read is We Lie. And I know that one was cool. I enjoyed that one. So hopefully the rest of them are pretty good. Um, I'll tell you what they were rated on creepypasta.com before we get into them. But yeah, it's going to be an exciting episode. Just a shitload of creepypasta for you today, right? That's exciting, huh? But before I do that, I know I said there's no rate and review, no... Um, horror fix, but I could still kind of talk about some stuff that I've been doing, you know, like reading The Fifth Wave. I just read the book The Fifth Wave and the sequel uh, The Infinite Sea, and they're pretty, pretty good reads if you like a nice light read. I mean, they're teen books, but if you haven't heard of them, they've uh, made a movie of the first one, also called The Fifth Wave, of course. But in this book, uh, it follows the main character, Cassie, who, of course, is like a 17-year-old girl because this book was directed, I'm assuming, towards girls, but it's open to everybody. And aliens come down to Earth and start jacking us up. Just bow, bow, bow. Fuck you, humans. You're all getting fucked up. So, yeah, very good description by me. But they roll out these series of waves uh, to kind of kill everyone like they knock out the power they start spreading diseases and shit like that and then the fifth wave or what they think is the fifth wave is the aliens get sent down to inhabit human hosts which is pretty dope so the story kind of just follows her uh, trying to survive and uh, find her brother you find out that she lost her brother and uh, family and stuff throughout the book and they give you the backstory flashbacks and stuff like that and it's I don't know there's a if you like a nice light read like it's not a very hard read to say the least it is directed to like teenagers or whatever but it does have aliens it has a lot of like murder and stuff for a teen book there's actually like quite a bit of chill like child murder in the second one which i thought was fucked up came out of nowhere but definitely enjoyable if you like aliens and stuff but it is kind of confusing i mean i'm just finished the second one and there's still i have so many questions so i have to wait for the third one i don't even remember what the third one's called but it comes out in march march or may one of the m months but if you want like a nice cheap book that's like 10 bucks to go read if you want to read some aliens and stuff check out the fifth wave and then of course the sequel the infinite sea or just infinite sea but they're making a movie that comes out pretty soon it's all yeah it's called the fifth wave like i said before and i got a problem with this movie already because the main character is named cassie and she's just like a plain jane like you're bare bones like 
somebody you see you don't even look twice at and they fucking cast Chloe Grace Mortez or whatever the hell her name is as the lead which doesn't make sense for one thing because she's not playing she's like considered one of the up and coming hot stars of like Hollywood and kind of pissing me off because that takes out a, a huge dynamic of her personality like in the book she's kind of insecure about like things like that of how she looks and that kind of plays into the effects of how she deals with different characters and I just don't like Chloe Grace Mortez because I just don't like her she was good and let me in but then they cast her as Carrie another role that was just like what the hell why is she being cast as Carrie Carrie's supposed to be this weirdo that like nobody hangs out with and stuff and I feel like Chloe Grace Mortez would be like the super popular girl in her high school so it just completely takes you out of the movie sometimes and I hope it doesn't do that with the fifth wave uh maybe they'll adjust a lot of the writing for it but yeah, just pisses me off, you know? Just pisses me off down to the core. But read the book. Book's, book's all right. Okay, so that's enough ranting from me about a book that is probably going to be very poorly adapted to film. But whatever. I guess the book wasn't so great. It's decent. I liked it. But you know what? I'd probably give that book, the first one, like 7 out of 10, maybe like 6.8. It's a, I, I had fun reading it. It's a fun read, you know? Some murder, some aliens, everything you need in a teen book, you know? But enough about that. So let's jump into the creepy passes because we have five of them to get to. So it might be a long episode. So hopefully you're in here for the long haul. We're going to start it off, of course, with a creepy pasta called Views of a Murder. This got a 6.5 out of 10 on creepypasta.com. So yeah, it could go either way. Let's hope it's, uh, let's hope it's good. Here we go. It's so dark in here, so dreadfully dark. I have come to hate this darkness, for it comes much too frequently. My body is still, as if numbed. The motion I can sense as I'm being carried away is quick-paced and very rough. Where I am is unknown, but I do know that I'm surrounded by a wall of almost fabric-like linings. My imprisoned state is positioned ever so close to this man's heart. I can feel its sickly thumps as my bearer strides so vigorously. His breath comes in impulsive, distorted inhales as he sucks for the God-given right to stay alive. I pity him, for it is he who depends on me to do the task at hand. I have become a tool in giving reality to his twisted fantasies. I suppose we must rely on each other, for it is I who fulfills the wishes of the scandalous, and he brings meaning and purpose to my creative design. But now, the moment has come. The moment I have relived time and time again in the hands of this cruel-minded gentleman. His motion ceases, but his heart rate increases. He reaches into his coat pocket and unsheaths me from my hiding place. Free from the burden of my senseless cell, I can now feel the sting of the cold night breeze. My metallic body gleams in the pale light of the overhead moon as it casts its undying rays upon the unearthly neighbors below. All else maintains the pitch black that mortal men have come to fear the uncertainty that waits behind the veil of their blinded eyes. Footsteps now echo down this lonely path. Little does this person know, they have just entered a game of hide-and-go-seek in which the loser meets a painful end. My cohort and I have fiendishly placed ourselves behind this unforgiving wall. It seems our victim has been deemed the unknowing seeker. The sound of this person's presence draws more near to where my master stands, who is still clutching me within his firm grasp. 
Before I could even brace myself for impact, out sprang the villain with sinister precision of his killing blow. I met the fair lady's soft and fleshy chest. I could tell it was a woman because of the shrill feminine scream that managed to escape her tightening throat. My steel-pointed end tore through her so easily. I merely slipped right between her blockade of muscle, tissue, and bone. Everything came to a stop. I could recognize where I was now. I was buried inside the now split open heart of the unlucky maiden. I could feel the frantic beats as blood attempted to flee the shattering impact I had made. Such a beautiful muscle, trying so hard to squeeze out every bit of life it could. I swear I can almost hear it praying to the heavens above before it stopped beating completely. When the deed was done and my purpose served, I was drawn back from her chest and I watched as blood spoiled down her magnificent left breast. Down she fell towards the ground, unable to live, yet unable to die, caught between this world and the hell that awaited her. I did not know whether I should be in despair for her, seeing as now her fluids coat my razor's edge. I am wiped and stripped clean of her meaninglessly spewed insides. Back into the pocket I go, and off we walk, the murderer and me, the killer and his knife that have taken yet another worthless life. So that was Views of a Murder, and I couldn't find the author for that one, of course. Most people don't like to post even a pseudonym for the at uh, creepypasta.com, but oh well. I enjoyed it. Um, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff in there. There's a misdirection. I mean, I thought at first this was some weird like sexual fantasy thing, and then I'm like, oh, this can't be from the perspective of a girl or something. It's from the perspective of his murder weapon, which I initially thought was a gun when he said, like, my metallic side shined in the moonlight or something like that. Uh, I thought that was a gun, but then turns out it was a knife, so they double got me with their misdirection. So pretty good, very short, but you know what? Short and sweet. Um... That's got a 6 out of 10, according to everyone who's reading on creepypasta.com. I think I'd give that one like a 7, 7.2. I enjoyed it. And, you know, it's uh, pretty well written. So 7.2 for views of a murder. Now let's jump into the next one, which, once again, of course, I couldn't find an author. But the creepypasta is called The Hole in the Wall. I'm hoping at least you will enjoy this because it's probably fucked me up for life. It's seeming a lot more absurd as time passes, 12 days since I moved my shit into my friend's place. So I want to get this out there and have people call bullshit and pass judgment because I think it'll make me feel better. I've moved all my stuff out, I've already called the cops and informed my absentee landlord. I've done all the proper things so there's nothing left to do but share my little fucked up city living story. About six months ago, my girlfriend and I moved into an apartment in the Benton Park neighborhood of St. Louis. About two weeks after we move in, her grandfather who raised her has a fucking stroke and she ends up going home to Twin Oaks to take care of him. She was living with him full time until we could find out how to afford a nurse or a hospice. Anyway, I'd been living in our new one bedroom all alone for the last half year. It's beautiful, newly remodeled, double pane windows, great insulation. The best a couple of hicks turned yuppies could want. It's got a couple of weird things about it though, as you'll see. There's only four units in the building, on the second and third floors. We were on the top floor. The first weird thing about this place we noticed right when we moved in. The walls and floors are paper thin. I could hear every word of my downstairs neighbor's conversation at all times. I know when they take a shower, I know when they fuck, and I'm sure they know the same about us. It's weird. The more info we have on each other, the less we wanted to actually get to know each other. They moved out about six weeks ago. 
Then the other two units were vacant a week later. It was kind of weird, but also kind of awesome. I could finally stomp around, watch porn, and play rock band at full volume. About four weeks ago, it got weird. It was about 1 a.m. and I was going to bed, and I'd started to hear this noise from the empty apartment downstairs. Really quiet at first, but sustained. It sounded halfway between a hushed conversation with only one person talking and a small motor running. Just a babbling, not quite regular drone. It freaked me out at first, but I rationalized that it was some plumbing or the refrigerator downstairs. Something I'd never heard over my downstairs neighbors farting and snoring. I learned to live with it as it rose and fell every evening. Pretty soon, a steady tapping sound started in with the mumbling. I know it sounds fucked up, but when you hear it every night for a while, you can just make excuses for it. Then I kept hearing boards creaking. It's spring, my first in this building, so I assumed it was just the old boards under the new drywall settling. Then one night, as I was brushing my teeth, there was a mighty dry thump right behind me. I just about stabbed myself with my toothbrush. I stayed really still till I was sure there wasn't anyone in the house, and then turned on the lights. This is when I noticed the peculiarity in the remodeling. On the other side of the bathroom, where I heard the thump, is the hall closet. I open it up and switch on the light, expecting a box to have fallen off the shelves, but it's all gravy inside. So I tapped on the wall between the closet and the bathroom, and it sounds oddly hollow, and I start to realize that the closet isn't as wide as I think it should be, based on the bathroom. I pace it out with my feet and then tape measure just to confirm. Sure enough, there's about 30 inches of space in between the two walls that I thought were adjacent. Again, rationalization time, surely there's extra insulation in there to keep the bathroom warm or maybe the walls are thicker than I imagined, because fuck, I've never built a house. So in this one thick wall, some huge fucking rat must have taken a tumble and freaked me out. No big deal. I felt a lot better at the time, even better when it was the first night in a while without that weird noise below me. So everything is fine until last Friday night. It's about 2 in the morning, and I'm home late from the bar. Not as drunk as I want, and remembering that I left all my clean laundry in the dryer before I went out. One thing sticks out as I climb the stairs. The door to the apartment below me is closed. It's been open since the neighbors vacated. I got kind of used to seeing an empty mirror image of my place every day when I walked past. Maybe the landlord was showing it to people today. Rationalize, rationalize, rationalize. I bag up a small load of laundry and climb down the back porch steps into the laundry room, which is really just a part of the garage, but the staircase is on the outside of the building, and it gives each floor a little shared porch. I get down there and into the little room, and I start bagging up all my clothes into this big black duffel bag. Two things you should know about me at this point. I turn off every light when I leave a room, no matter what. My dad used to beat the shit out of me when the energy bill was a penny over the norm, and I also lock every door every time I go through it. Hell, I even locked the back door when I went down to get my laundry. I start back up the stairs, and on the first flight, I look up, straight into my bedroom window. The light is on, and there's a silhouette against the closed blinds. I pissed myself a little, and every hair on my neck snapped to fucking attention. And then the light goes out. It happened in less than a second, but ten seconds later, I'm still frozen in place, trying to figure out if I just saw what I thought I saw. Rationalization lost out thank fucking god, and I snuck down the stairs and out through the garage. I called a cab and stood across the street from the building looking in my living room window. About five minutes before the cab showed up, the Venetian blinds parted slightly for a few seconds, like someone was looking down on me. Then nothing. I stayed at a hotel that weekend. Then a couple of buddies of mine came back with me on Sunday to see how much stuff had been stolen. It was all there. My laptop was still charging, my brand new plasma TV, the doors were even locked. I moved it all out that afternoon while my friends were with me and I had the daylight on my side. 
Then I checked out the apartment below me. The downstairs closet had the same abnormally thick wall. Only someone had hammered through this wall, a big round jagged hole exposing the tiny crawl space between. And in this space flat against the wall was a cheap hardware store ladder leading up through the darkness to the space behind the walls in my apartment. I don't know how he got into my apartment from there, maybe through the heating vents in my ceiling. I really don't give a shit. All I care about is never seeing that building again. I mailed my keys to the landlord, told the whole thing to a terminally disinterested cop. I've done my part. I'm moving on. I quit my shitty job, which might even be the one good thing about this. I'm typing this at a friend's house on his Wi-Fi. I was going to take this convenient time to get the fuck out of Dodge and move in with my girlfriend and her grandpa, but he died two nights ago. Still think I'd like to head back into the country, but I guess this is a clean slate for us. I haven't told her yet, and I'm not sure if I will. Told her our landlord went apeshit and kicked me out. She's already got issues with security, and I don't want to add to them. But I don't ever want to live in an apartment or hear people moving beneath my feet or on the other side of my wall. Never again. So that was the hole in the wall, and holy shit, that was a pretty good creepypasta. I mean, there was no monsters, no like crazy shit, they kind of leave it up to your imagination, but the way I took it, it was just some fucking creepy guy kind of sneaking into this guy's apartment, kind of watching him sleep and stuff. If he could get in his apartment, he's probably got him there asleep, standing, walking around his apartment. Creepy as shit, and it's so creepy because that's something that could actually happen. Like, just some fucking guy breaking into your house. Ugh. Just being watched without knowing. So, yeah, the hole in the wall, pretty damn good. I'm giving that one an 8.5 out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I liked the guy. Uh, I liked the way it was written. It was written for me to read it and have a lot of fun with it. He would like, use a lot of fun words to say, like going ape shit and saying shit like getting the fuck out of Dodge. I don't know. I liked, I liked this guy, whoever wrote this. Write more stuff for me to read. Very good. But that's the second story. We're on to number three, which is actually called Within the Walls. Uh, this one actually got a 4.5 out of 10. Oh, I should say uh, The Hole in the Wall got an 8.3 out of 10. Uh, I gave it an 8.5, but on creepypasta.com it had an 8.3 out of 10. This story, Within the Walls, uh, was given a 4.5 out of 10. So it's the lowest rated one that I'll be reading today, at least according to everyone on creepypasta.com. So hopefully it doesn't suck ass. Here we go. When you move into a new house, you always feel slightly uneasy, don't you? It's not like your house yet, a stranger's house filled with your things, more like. And during those first few weeks, you feel like you're intruding into someone else's personal space. Well, you are. You see, I moved into my new house today. It's a very nice house, but there's something watching me. I know it's there, always creeping into my mind, finding my deepest, darkest fears and mutating them into hideous nightmares. I can't escape from it now. It's chosen me. Do you know why it chose me? Because I came into its grasp, you see? It hides in the shadows, it follows your footsteps, but it can never quite catch you. You don't stay in the same place long enough. I bet you're thinking, well, why doesn't it hide in your current house? There's a simple answer to that. It's because there's already something there. Something that's already latched onto your mind and finds the things that terrify you the most. Usually after a few months, it gets weaker and soon you barely notice it at all, but it's still there. It's always there. In new houses, it is stronger. It has been hungry for a long time. It creeps within the walls, 
just waiting in the shadows, just waiting to latch hold of a strong mind and ready to drive you into the brink of insanity. And it enjoys every minute of your sweet, delicious pain. You see, I moved into my new house today. It's a very nice house, but it will get me. I can see it coming for me in my nightmares. And it's only a matter of time before I succumb to the terrible, terrible torture. So that was Within the Walls by Cat Catastrophe, but cat is spelled with a K, both of them. It's like Cat Catastrophe, like some old Nickelodeon show. But you know what? Uh, this got a 4.5 out of 10 on creepypasta.com, according to the viewers, tw uh, out of 221 ratings. Um, I think it deserves much more than that. I thought that was a really interesting idea. I mean, whenever you move into a new place, um, I moved a lot, so I got a lot of experience in this. Uh, you kind of get a weird feeling, and it just, I don't know, it's like you don't feel like it's your place, and you're scared of like what's gone on beforehand here. But I liked the... Uh, the little theory that there's something living in each house and it latches onto you and just drives your deepest fears into your nightmares. I don't know. Really, really interesting concept. So I'm going to give this a seven, even though it was, it's very short, but short and sweet got to the point. Uh, I think it's way better than the 4.5 it got. So seven out of 10. We're having some decent stories today. I like that. Nothing below five. So cool. Now we're on to the next story. This story was written by somebody named Akaimo or Asimo. It's spelled like Asai, but with a mo at the end. So I'll say like Asimo, or maybe it is Akaimo. Either way, that's irrelevant. I'm just saying it wrong. But the story is called Mute, and I believe it's the longest one I'll be reading today. And this one actually had a very good rating on creepypasta.com. Out of 503 votes, it has an 8.9 out of 10. So high expectations for this one because I have not read it. Let's go through this journey together, everyone. This is Mute. I should have known something was wrong. What happened that night was fucked up, no doubt, and I had a lot to deal with, a lot on my mind. But how did I not notice something so obvious, something that was staring me right in the fucking face? What the fuck is wrong with me? I'd put Susie to bed several hours ago. Her slipping eyelids and persistent yawn being all the evidence I needed that she lacked the fortitude to complete our Disney marathon. But daddy, I'm really awake, I promise. She would pleaded with me as I carried her up to her room in my arms. Oh really, I chuckled, playing with her. Then what's your middle name? I could almost hear the gears spinning in her tired little head as she desperately tried to find the answer. The one thing that she needed to watch was the stunningly climactic conclusion of Mulan 2, if indeed she could remain conscious long enough. She pulled a funny face and guessed. Pretty? I laughed and touched her nose. All right, take me to bed, she said moodily, looking defeated. The move had been hard on her. She was only five after all, and she'd had to grow up a lot faster than any child should ever have to. But she was so smart for her age, so understanding. She understood why we had to move so far away from all her family and friends to this unfamiliar house in an even more unfamiliar city. She understood why she couldn't see her mother anymore, that she wasn't the same, that she'd forgotten how to love after the drugs took their hold. She understood that she'd probably never see her old friends again, that she'd have to make new ones. She somehow even understood why I'd suddenly had to start taking the little white pills from the little orange bottle every morning and afternoon. The stress of a long, drawn-out separation from my wife and waking up every morning to see the shell of a woman I once called the love of my life had broken my heart, literally. If my daddy gets too excited, his heart explodes. I'd heard her telling some other girls one day when I was picking her up from school, much to their fascination. 
Not quite right, bless her, but it was amazing that she was so close, because we'd never even spoken about it before. Don't worry, we'll watch the rest in the morning together, I promise. I reassured her as I tucked her into bed and gave her one kiss on the cheek. But I must warn you, at the very end, Mulan- Don't tell me, she shouted as she buried her head into the pillow and made the classic, I can't hear you sounds. I laughed again, told her I loved her as I always did, turned off her lights and left her door open a crack before going downstairs to watch some shitty late night TV. She was the strongest girl I'd ever met, bar none. Even during her infancy, she rarely ever cried. Even if something was upsetting her, even if something was really scaring her, or if she was in serious pain, she would just sit there, resolute, showing no weaknesses. I laughed as I recalled the memory of when she was only two. By that age, she already knew how to feed herself using a spoon, and I'd normally just sit her in her high chair with the bowl in front of her and let her get to it while I did chores around the house. But one morning, she wasn't eating. She just sat in her chair with a sour, unhappy, pained expression on her face. She wasn't crying, but I could tell something was wrong. Turned out, I had accidentally trapped her entire hand in the joint of the high chair's folding table when I'd put her food down on it. She wasn't hurt, luckily, but it just goes to show you how tough she was, even as a baby. When I looked into her eyes, I didn't see a child. I saw a woman. She was the only female I needed in my life now. I loved her, unconditionally. More than life itself, and I knew that as long as we were together, everything would be fine. It got to the point in the night where the adverts for stretching super hoses or pop-up gazebos began to run together with the fake tarot readings and over-the-phone spiritual guidance, and I really thought I might die, or at the very least become brain damaged to the point of incoherence if I watched another second. When even the TV strippers start putting on their clothes, that's when you know it's time to hit the can. Switching the TV off with the remote, I quickly stood up and patted myself down to make sure I hadn't indeed shat myself. I got the all clear and started up the stairs, fumbling with my pills, turning off the lights as I went up, preparing myself for bed. That's when I heard the scream. That bone-chilling, blood-curdling scream. That pained, gurgling scream. Susie's scream. I launched my pills into the air and sprinted up the stairs. I burst into her room, panting, scanning around for any sign of danger, and found none. Content that her room was empty, save for myself and her, I kneeled at her bed and stroked her face. What's wrong, honey? I asked her gently. She just sat up in bed, frozen, paralyzed almost, pointing one shaking finger towards the foot of her bed and clutching her other hand close to her chest. This wasn't really any surprise to me. Yes, she was a strong girl, but she was entitled to her share of childlike monster-in-the-wall type fears that anybody goes through at that age. I'd been woken up many times in the small hours of the morning by her cries of, monster in my wardrobe or ghost in my floorboards the latter of which ended with me doing some weird foot-stomping dance ritual to ward off evil spirits. One that had become more and more frequent of late was Man at My Window, which was one of the few I actually took seriously. But luckily, there never was, at least not that I saw. This time was different though. She hadn't shouted out any of those usual complaints. She hadn't shouted anything. She had just screamed. That's when I should have known. Right then. Right then and fucking there is when I should have realized that I was too late that the worst had already happened. I decided to see if I could calm her down, have a little fun with it, try to get her back into the sleepy mood, you know? I walked over to the other side of the room where the wardrobe was. Is it in the wardrobe, I asked loudly, suddenly jerking doors open to reveal nothing but clothes and hangers? Nope, no monsters in there, I concluded, unless it's Invisible Ivan, I yelled, unleashing a flurry of kung fu-esque moves into the empty closet. Nope, Ivan's not there either. Then I bent down and started wrapping my knuckles on the floor. Hmm, floorboards sound empty to me. I stood up again, smiling, and looked at Susie. 
Her cold, terrified gaze just followed me around the room, her face the picture of absolute seriousness, her quivering finger unmoved from the end of her bed. The smile quickly melted from my face. My Ghostbuster routine usually had least made her chuckle. I knew something had seriously scared her, and whatever it was, she thought it was under the bed. Down there? I mimed to her, gesturing to the floor under where she sat. She nodded silently, then withdrew her hand and clenched it tight to her chest, like the other one. I got down on two knees, put my hands to the floor, and prepared my scariest roar to pretend to scare away whatever imaginary creature lived there. I quickly brought my head down to the floor level and was just about to shout under the mattress when what I saw made my breath catch in my throat. I felt nauseous, terrified, and infatuated all at the same instant, but that's not when I had my heart attack. He was lying there, totally naked and on the erect, in an expanding pool of his own piss. His wrinkly, curdled, wart-covered skin was stuck to the floor by his stinking sweat, and I could see his yellow, rotting teeth, the few he still had, leaning pitifully towards me through his cracked, acrid lips. He must have been in his late 60s, and his greasy, silvering hair, where he wasn't bald, fell down over his face in messy knots and clumps. In one veiny, clawed hand, he held a bloodied steak knife, rusted with use, a large stained burlap sack in the other, and he was under my daughter's bed. He was under my daughter's fucking bed. Uh, listen, friend, I, I can explain, he started half crying. The sound of his bones crunching in the doorframe were not nearly as disturbing as his frenzied, animalistic screams. About 15 minutes later, his near-lifeless trunk was getting loaded into the back of an ambulance, thankfully clothed and under heavy guard, and the police who had arrived at the scene were filling me in on what had happened while a medic bandaged my bloody, misshapen knuckles. Using Susie's bedroom door, I'd broken his jaw, his nose, and the globe of his left eye socket, cracked his skull, broken six ribs, and separated his spinal column at the 16th vertebrae. When the hinges splintered and the door fell from its frame, I resorted to using my fists and had shattered all nine of his teeth, half crushed his windpipe, and left him with a major concussion, all of which made identifying him in any way very difficult, mainly due to the fact that his newly swollen and disfigured face could now have put Jocelyn Wildenstein in high spirits. We would have to wait for his fingerprints, luckily intact despite most of his digits being mangled and snapped, to be put through the database to be sure. But they believed I had just caught one Jeb Roberts, the perpetrator of a series of weird murders taking place across the city. He had entered the house by climbing up the guttering and entering a slightly open window upstairs. Reports indicated that he would stake out a house. Was that the man at Susie's window? I couldn't be sure before breaking in, drugging the child, and then harvesting their skin, bones, and internal organs, using them to fashion creepy dolls and marionettes from dead, rotted flesh, leaving nothing behind but a soft heap of fat and muscle, lovingly topped with 20 little teeth. I felt sick. I couldn't believe Susie had almost become a victim of that manic cunt. I remembered watching a news report about the guy not three days ago. There wasn't an actual name for what he was, but the general one-size-fit-all term such as pedophile, murderer, creep, child killer, communist, servant of Satan, and straight-up fucking psycho were getting thrown around a lot. The officers commended me for my brave and valiant action, and assured me that if this was the right guy and he lived long enough to stand trial, he would be getting nicely acquainted with old Sparky within the next year. Susie just sat there in silence, still clutching her hands to her chest and not moving an inch. I hadn't heard her say a single word throughout the entire ordeal. She even silently dismissed the paramedics who tried to check on her, insisting instead that they focus on me. She didn't look as scared anymore, but I assumed she was still too in shock to say anything or give a testimony to the police. They said that was alright and that I could bring her down to the station whenever she was ready. In hindsight, it wasn't the best idea, 
but I decided to wait until all the cops had cleared out. The investigators had taken their photos and left. Paramedics had piled into their car and sped away, and the sound of wailing sirens was no longer audible in the distance. About an hour in total. Then I sat Susie down on the couch and decided we needed to have a talk about what had just happened. I explained to her that a nasty man had gotten into the house, that he wanted to take her away, but that it was alright because daddy had been there to protect her, and that that man was never ever coming back. She placed a hand on my cheek and nodded, that nod she always did to show me she had understood everything I had just said, and everything I hadn't, as the first tears I had seen in almost five years started to roll down her cheeks. It's alright Suze, I comforted her. You don't have to cry. She still said nothing, but I didn't question it too much. I hugged her lovingly, and she nestled her head into my shoulder, but she hardly hugged me back. Her arms were still clamped tight against her chest, as if trying to hide something valuable, afraid she could lose it at any second. Susie, darling, what's that in your hand? She looked suddenly apprehensive, and that fearful expression crossed her face again. It's okay, you can show me. It's alright, I promise. Only then did I put two and two together, and work out what had just happened. I failed my daughter, the girl that meant everything to me, because I was too fucking dim to see what was right in front of my face. How fucking stupid can you be? Now I'm gone, and she's all on her own. I was meant to protect her. I was meant to protect her. What I saw burned my very soul, and set fire to my chest. As she reluctantly uncurled her fingers, she opened her mouth in a wide, forced smile, revealing an entire mouthful of crimson-tinted teeth as blood still oozing from the sickly throbbing stump poured menacingly down her chin. In her precious shaking hand, cruelly taken from her innocent mouth, glistening in the first rays of morning sunshine poking through the window, was her own severed tongue. That's when I had my heart attack. What the fuck? That was dark as shit. Uh, Akaimo? Asimo? You are messed up. You are one messed up individual. But that was a very good creepypasta. Jeez, it was well written. It kind of had me on the edge of my seat the whole time. He kind of gave some stuff away at the beginning that this guy was ha gonna have a heart attack. He gave away that he failed his daughter. And then he filled in the pieces, kind of Tarantinoing it. And it all worked. It was done very well. And I was like, well, what the fuck did he do to fail her? Come on, let me know, let me know. And then, yeah, fucking hit me with that. Oh. That is creepy as shit. So I see why this got an 8.9 out of 10 on creepypasta.com. I'm going to have to agree with that. Um, this story was good. Um, I'm going to give it 9.5. I mean, it's pretty, pretty messed up. Not a perfect story, but almost there. It was very enjoyable for me. I doubt the next one will kind of uh, live up to these expectations. I should have read this last because it is so good. 9.5 out of 10. Good job, Akimo or Simo. But now it's time for the last creepypasta of the episode. This is actually the only one I read, and I liked it quite a bit. It's got a 7.4 out of 10 on creepypasta.com. And, yeah, I think you know, it might be better than that. 7.4 out of 10 based on 285 ratings. And the person who wrote it is Alpanamo. Alpanamo? What a weird name. Alpanamo. Okay, El Panamo, this is We Lie. Here we go. Adam entered the living room and sat down with a glass of red wine, careful not to spill. He needed to have another talk with his wife. Things could get difficult. The wine helped him keep a level head. Clara? Yes, dear? I'm glad you're here. We have to talk. Okay, she said, 
about? Can you help me understand why you did it? Why you hurt me like that? Clara was silent for a long while. Adam took a sip from the glass, remaining patient. I was hurting too, and confused. Please forgive me. It's hard, Clara. I know, but I don't want to talk about it now. Adam stood up and paced around the room a few times and sat back down. Well, are you happy? Can you at least tell me that much? Yes, so long as you're with me, I won't leave you, Adam. You have to know that. I know, and I love you, Clara. I love you too. There was another long pause. Do you know I sometimes watch you while you sleep? Really? Adam idly swirled the dark liquid, observing how the glass refracted the room's light. I've been having bad dreams lately, so just knowing someone's there to watch over me really helps. Thank you, honey. I have to leave now. Already, he asked, surprised. Hey, I know. You should come with me. His brow furrowed. I... I can do that? Sure, you already know how. How, he asked, sensing he wouldn't like the answer. Same as me, silly. The room seemed to dim at the corners, as if its huddled shadows were conspiring to eavesdrop. What? How could you say that, Clara? Another pause. Clara's not here, came the reply. Adam felt his stomach bottom out. What? You, you mean, you're not... No, never was. But I did speak to her once. The deceit stung at his eyes. Oh yeah? And what did you say? Jump. He shot up from his chair, rubbing his temples. No, no, goddammit, how? How is this possible? All those things she said. I was talking to Clara, dammit. I was talking to her. At this point, Adam was not so much talking with another as he was pleading with himself but he forced himself to sit back down. The planchette beneath his fingertips raced across the board, spelling out a simple message. We lie. Tears began to splash over random letters, blurring the ornate typeface, but Adam dared not remove his hands as the planchette continued to move. One more thing. He did not respond, so it resumed without prompt. Those aren't dreams. Adam could recall only fragments of his nightmares, a dark alley, a dripping tunnel, the thrill of darting from a shadow to a shadow, a scream cut short, hands wrapped tight around something soft and yielding, and the reflection of the moon in a cold river, its black waters rushing at his bare waist. He found his voice again, growling. What do you mean? I borrow you. At this, Adam withdrew his trembling hands and stared at them in disbelief. He choked out a single word. Why? The planchette moved freely now, without need of human touch, and answered with a single word of its own. Fun. Damn, does that not give you goosebumps? I know it gave me goosebumps. You're just like, what the fuck's he doing? He's talking with his wife? But it turns out, he thought he was talking to his dead wife on a Ouija board, but he was actually talking to some crazy spirit who's been possessing him and murdering people with his body and that is fucked up very good creepypasta this one another misleading one you're like oh he's just having a conversation with his wife but turns out he's having a conversation with a crazy spirit crazy stuff right i love those ones so this one got a 7.4 out of 10 on creepypasta.com uh, i'm gonna have to give this one give this an 8.5 out of 10 so I've been given some really good ratings today because we stumbled across a lot of good creepypastas, which I'm not complaining. 
It's much better than when we uh, read a random one that is total horseshit. I think we did uh, pretty well for our 50th show, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, what did I give this? 8.5 8. out of 10? Good job, uh, Akaimo. Oh, wait, no, this isn't Akaimo. That was the last person. This is Alan Panamo. Alan, or no, Alapanamo. 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 Yes, I'm pro- that's probably getting pretty annoying. But I guess that does it for our 50th show. 5-0. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, before I let you guys go, uh, just wanted to let you guys know you can subscribe to us on iTunes and, you know what, give us a good rating, give us a review. We appreciate all the feedback, everything. Uh, like us on Facebook.com slash Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podcast, And, of course, uh, follow our Instagram feed. I'm going to start doing a lot more p- posts and stuff. Um, that, of course, is Pass the Time Podcast. Check out the YouTube channel as well, Pass the Time Podcast. Pretty, pretty much the same same name for everything except my Twitter account because I'm dumb. I'm like, oh, I'll call it pa- at Pass the Podcast. That's that's funny. No, not not funny. Just dumb. Silly AJ. But that does it for this episode. Hopefully, I'm back at you pretty soon. But until then. Try not to have too many nightmares, my friends. <laughs>